Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Right here on the Blog and the Boys Podcast Network, I'm Mark Lane. Follow me on Twitter at the Real Mark Lane. Joined as always by Sean Martin. You can follow him on Twitter at Sean Martin NFL. How are you doing this week, Sean? Hey, what's going on, Mark? Good to be back with you. Quick shout out of the week goes to our very own Brandon here on the BTB Universe. So we did a the Tuesday roundtable together. He was dropping all kinds of Syracuse knowledge. He went there and lives in New York, and so we were talking some Syracuse stuff. After the show, we were continuing to talk about some of those things, because I mentioned that I didn't attend Syracuse, but got into their very well-known broadcasting school, and so we were talking about some country music interests, things like that, and I sent him some of the pictures that I have of me wearing different cowboy hats, right? And as everyone knows, I'm a big Kenny Chesney fan. I've talked about going to two of his shows on here. I have a hat that looks very close to the one that he wears on stage, you would think wearing it, you know, in a state like Texas with so many other fans, people would point it out all the time, like, oh, you must be a Kenny fan. That's his style hat. It's very unique and all that. Nobody ever really does point it out. You know, here and there, I get the comment. Other than that, people don't seem to pick up that that's what I'm, the look I'm going for. Sent the picture to Brandon. Right away, his first response is like, oh, I'm getting Kenny Chesney vibes from that picture. I'm like, man, that just made my day. It was me in a Dak Prescott jersey and the hat. So, uh Good country music fan. He's apparently been to Garth Brooks concerts, which is one that I've never been to, but would certainly be interested in seeing Garth. But uh, for that alone, he deserves a shout out and good job to not only him, but Tony Catalina and RJ Ochoa on the roundtable. Hope I can make more of those going forward. Yeah, the roundtables really are a lot of fun. Are they? And I love the point structure of them too. How they hand out points. Yeah, I had a chance to win, but, you know, we were talking Cowboys draft, of course, and they drafted a Longhorns player, Demarion Overshone, and, you know, the moderator, RJ, is an Aggie, so I kind of had to take my pick of do I swallow my Austin transplant, Texas pride, and not say anything good about a Texas player so that maybe I'll have a chance to win, or do I, you know, do the right thing, and I did the right thing, and talked about Overshone, and still had a chance in the end there, but the win went to uh, Tony Catalina. Yeah, on one of those... Um, round tables they had it to where uh you it was something like previewing training camp and oh you can't mention you can't duplicate topics so if somebody brings up something you know you got to bring up something else and I was like the last one to go around the horn with an interesting topic and they picked all the interesting position battles so I just talked about how significant you know, long snapper is going to be to evaluate in training camp. Hey, do you think Jeff Heath is interested in coming back to be our kicker? Uh, well, they should look into it, shouldn't they? I mean, he's only 31 years old, and he's one of our Cowboys' <laughs> birthdays this week. So we'll definitely get into whether or not Jeff Heath should come back and be the Cowboys' kicker. Um, 
now that you know Dallas doesn't really have anybody right now. But g- coming up this week, there are a couple of notable Cowboys events. Uh, rookie minicamp coming up at the end of the week, and then this schedule release is on Thursday. But uh, let's go ahead and get into rookie minicamp. Uh, what do you feel like are some of the um, misconceptions people have about rookie minicamp, uh, what they should expect, and what they get agitated or excited about? Well, the biggest thing that we should all be ready to be excited about is anytime Deuce Vaughn does anything, we need to proclaim him, proclaim him as the next great Dallas running back. We touched on this on the roundtable too, but and I've, I've probably mentioned it here before, but it's an annual tradition and I just absolutely adore from Cowboys fans that we just fall for a, you know, preseason training camp star running back. Now Deuce Vaughn definitely has the tape and the potential to be more than that. I'm not saying he's just going to be, you know, one of those Gus Johnson type players that we get hyped for and it doesn't amount. They clearly think they can have a role for him and the tape shows that there can be a role for him here in Dallas. But yeah, every year we get hyped about a running back. It's awesome to see. We never learn the lesson about, you know, the uphill battle that they had to get snaps behind for the last couple of years. Of course, it's been Ezekiel Elliott and now with him out of the way, it's, you know, Tony Pollard expected to carry the bulk of the load and then what snaps are available behind him, Malik Davis and Rico Dowdle. So getting hyped about Deuce Vaughn is a agenda number one for rookie minicamp and then the rest of it is more so just about, you know, seeing the body type that these players have. We've seen all the mock draftable, you know, spider graphs and the height and weight and stuff, but just really getting a better look at, you know, seeing what they, how they look on the field in their uniform out there running around for the coaches for the first time. So that's something you can take away from this week as well. Yeah, and I think it's important to realize that these players for the first time in, you know, probably since high school have, they're in a situation where they haven't, they're not even in any kind of playing shape at all because even in college, with these players, uh, you know, you've got your spring practices and your spring game to look forward to and all that kind of stuff. They haven't even really been in any type of scrimmage aspects of, you know, the offseason work. And so these guys coming into rookie minicamp, they're not going to be in any kind of playing shape at all. So if you hear anything negative coming out of any camp, you know, a rookie mini camp of, oh, so-and-so's not in playing shape or doesn't look crisp or whatever. I, you know, we judge guys by how, whether or not they look like a Lay's potato chip, I guess. They don't look crisp. <laughs> but, um, well, we're just a couple of weeks away from everybody being in the best shape. Of yeah, yeah, too, that, so. that too. But yeah, that also. But take it in the context of this. These guys aren't in any kind of playing shape and the coaching staff and the scouting department and everybody knows that. So don't get too excited if you hear that somebody's not in any kind of playing shape or didn't look crisp or something. Yeah, it's not that NFL teams and the Cowboys in particular don't trust these players to, you know, get to that playing shape both in their own program that's structured with the coaches and then of course what they have to do on their own but you know it's always more important and more effective I think to 
you know, have them in the building, have them doing your program, getting to see them, and putting them, especially as a rookie, of course, putting them on that right track so that when they do have to go put in the work themselves in between this week and that training camp and OTAs, all that, you know, they're on that right path, like I said. So, yeah, it is important to get them in the building, start them on your program. It's something, you know, Mike McCarthy believes in, and it's something he still talks about to this day in terms of the challenges of his first year being the COVID year and how much that messed things up. And now we fast forward three years later and he's the play caller and, you know, much more of the program is going to be very hands-on for him than it ever has been. So we can get a look at that as, as early as this week with rookie minicamp. Of course, there's not as many offensive prospects as maybe a lot expected to be on the field, but yeah, still some with Fasim Richards and where's he could line up. Do they see him early on as a guard, as a tackle? That could be interesting. Deuce Vollmer already hit on and, you know, some of these other players, too, on the offensive side of the ball. They'll work on the position flex. Again, he can't really hit anybody until training camp. I think that really if you want to look for a place where there's winners and losers in rookie minicamp, it's really among the players who have a tryout. There's going to be players that they they have a tryout at rookie minicamp and it's all or nothing for the continuation of their football career. Like this is the last continue at the game over screen for them. You know, and that's really where you can find the winners and losers of rookie minicamp. The rest of it is just getting the guys in the building and getting them acclimated to how the Cowboys do things so they can be a productive part of their 90-man roster for their off-season program that's going to continue through, you know, mid-June, and then they'll have them for training camp. So those guys are already kind of set in place it's these guys trying out you know from the small schools through uh maybe we're at a power five school and we're kind of depth players this is it for them and so that's where kind of if you're looking for the tension and drama of rookie minicamp that's where you can find it not in whether or not Mozzie Smith, you know, was able to make a tackle or didn't look crisp. Yeah, the two hardest positions to, you know, look good at all the way through even rookie minicamp OTAs until the pads come out of training camp, which is at this point still a long way away. The two hardest positions to really start evaluating and look at are in the trenches. And so offensive line, we're going to have to do some waiting on. Of course, they didn't add, you know, any offensive linemen with a premium pick. It's all seeing Richards and then already incumbent guys we have tape on to look at in terms of how they're going to perform. And then Mozzie Smith, though, is the first-round pick, so he is all, you know, going to have all the attention and the eyes on him, and we're going to want to hear reports about how he's doing, but it's a nose tackle, <laughs> you know. So it, on the interior defensive line, it's going to be more, you know, if Dan Quinn says he's coming along well, it's his type of pick, we'll take his word on that because, yeah, it's going to be a while until the pads come on where we can really evaluate anything that Mozzie Smith is doing. Yeah, and I would say the same kind of goes for Luke Schoonmaker as well, the tight end. I mean, what are you going to evaluate him on? Just his catching right now? 
Yeah, he's a soft-handed guy, you know, I'm sure he'll look fine catching the ball against Ao without running his short, but if that's against Ao too, then how much is it, you know, of value when it comes to those reps, so, yeah, Shoemaker's a guy that, just how quickly he'll develop an actual role of this team is wildly debated right now, it could be, you know, week, week one starter territory to down the line, so there's kind of all up in the air in terms of just how much your second round pick is going to help you in the short term, and I don't think we'll get any of those answers this week, unfortunately. All right, well, some answers that people will be looking for throughout the next 10 months are what the Cowboys are going to do in the 2024 NFL draft. Yes, it's draft season, folks. You thought it was over. Talk draft time. But it isn't. So Lance Zerling from NFL.com released kind of his predictions, you know, obviously based on the contracts and the rules of the collective bargaining agreement as to every team's compensatory picks for 2024. So with the Cowboys, they're slated to have uh, a sixth rounder for Dalton Schultz because the Houston Texans signed him to a one-year deal. And then Connor McGovern goes to the Buffalo Bills. He's projected to net Dallas a sixth rounder. So what you're looking at, Sean, is one, two, three, four, uh, three sixes, and a seven for the 2024 draft. Kind of looks like they, you know, their draft strategy for the past two years will still be in play. Oh, it puts a little bit more context on why they traded uh, next year's fifth-round pick this year for to get another six and make the first, you know, at the top of the sixth round, they picked Eric Scott Jr., who is kind of already a pet cat fan favorite type of player to sneak onto this roster, whether it's stacked against him at cornerback on the depth chart, but he makes a name for himself, or John Fossil vouches for him on special teams. However, you can find room for Eric Scott Jr. We'll see if he lives up to that, but certainly a player that, a lot of Cowboys fans seem to already be rooting for us. So they traded away a next year's fifth, but they already have three in the bag in the sixth round for next year. Then you could easily, you know, package some of those to get back into the fifth round next year if you needed to, or even higher than that if you're talking about moving your premium picks or just stay put where you are and continue to trust the scouting staff in the way that they do and make all of those six round picks and hope you hit on, you know, one or two of them would be a very high success rate for six-round picks, but if you make three in that round, yeah, you hope you can certainly get somebody on the roster. Same goes for a fifth-round pick, so whoever they choose to navigate that, they're going to have the ammunition on day three to move around and get those extra dart throws, which is really what it's all about on day three. Or this allows them to go get a uh, another veteran to plug a hole a la Stephon Gilmore and Brandon Cooks saw Dallas use their day three picks in midway through free agency to go get those veterans. Yeah, I think we all hope that you know, that type of move is something that they can do more of. You know, it certainly sent a nice signal at the very start of this all season that they're really buying into this. You know, we've both probably said at different times that we hate the term win now, but they're buying into this win now idea under Prescott and McCarthy with his back against the wall. All that still relevant of course so 
yeah, those were two moves that we would hope they would follow up on in the draft as far as making a big splash. This just wasn't the right draft class to necessarily make that splash. And so they did the best they could, we think, when it comes to, you know, already stacking up talent where you had a strong defense, go make it a even better defense. It's something I've been harping on for a while. And they absolutely did that. So even if only a couple of these picks on that side of the ball hit. So, yeah, we all hope that those types of trades and splashes aren't going to be just a one-year thing. Certainly, the Cowboys can get discouraged when they don't work out. You know, they made the Brandon Card deal going way back at this point. And when they did and it didn't work out, it changed their whole free agency and trade status for all the years going forward up until now. So, you know, that puts a little bit of unneeded pressure on Stephon Gilmore and Brandon Cooks. But, look, I think we all still believe that these are two players with a lot left in their tank that can certainly help this team. Brandon Cooks already got the throw of Dak Prescott and said it. You know, he's a special type of talent, and he's already looking forward to playing with him. Stephon Gilmore, a little bit quieter, of course, as far as, you know, we haven't heard from him quite as much. But the idea of pairing him with Trayvon Diggs and Dan Quinn's defense speaks for itself when it comes to the upside that that has and the rest of the depth the Cowboys have at cornerback. So, yeah, those types of moves. Do you need light round picks stockpiled to give you the best of both worlds? You can make that move, or you can trust your scouts to go hit on a day-free pick. It really is a win-win scenario for this Dallas front office right now, just depending on, again, how Stephon Gilmore and Brandon Cooks actually perform on the field this year. And that's we talked about this in free agency. And uh, Tom Ryle, who you can go listen to with Roy White on Riled Up, which day, which comes out on Thursdays on the Blog and the Boys podcast network. Uh, you know, we hit on this, which is it, Dallas – they really use those compensatories kind of as a passive income stream to build their roster. And it plays into why they just let guys go or aren't active in free agency, you know, is because they don't want to upset their compensatory formula. Because if they had signed really anybody, uh, it, they might, it might have affected their projected compensatories. And if Lance Zerlean from NFL.com, who does great work, but if he knows that, you darn well know Stephen Jones and Will McClay know that. Right, absolutely. And, you know, when it comes to this Cowboys kind of roster-building strategy, it's like the idea is that it's supposed to get harder to get later-round picks onto a roster if you really are backing up, you know, what they – like I said, trying to go win now, if you're trying to back that up for years to come, then it's supposed to be increasingly harder for these late round picks to make the team. So, you know, the Dallas fan base has a ton of draft nets. We all like to follow the draft. We get to cover it, and it's awesome as well. But, you know, the idea that we can keep getting attached to these late round picks, oh, I really like Eric Scott's upside, and, you know, I think Asim Richards is going to make it, and, and the next year we do the same thing. You know, at a certain point, you're going to have less on our spots to compete for. I think we already realized that bottleneck effect even as early as last year when it came to some of the roster decisions being pretty clear cut. It's like, okay, we know who they're going with at a lot of these spots. And, you know, it might be a nice story here and there as a UDFA or, or likewise that sneaks on here, but the roster should be more and more set as the years go by and you build this core that, you know, they think they can contend with for years to come. And so that's why they might lean towards actually making some of these compens- compensatory picks to, you know, get these guys on a rookie contract and development and all that. But, Certainly, yeah. They sent the signal this year that they're open to also making big trades and being a little bit more flexible in free agency. And I'm not alone in saying that that needs to be uh, something that's here to stay. 
you know, you use, look at what the Eagles do, of course. We all hate to bring them up in a positive light, but, you know, the Eagles use every bit of roster management to actually make a Super Bowl contending team, and the Cowboys can learn from that in a lot of ways still, but the trades they made this offseason are so far so good until we see them on the field. Yeah, indeed they do. But now maybe the Cowboys can dip into free agency because if they sign any veterans now, it will not count against their compensatory formula. So are there any free agents out there right now that you'd like to see on the roster? Yeah, so I got three of them, and my theme here at the position groups is positions that they didn't address highly in the draft or we thought they might, and that there's still, of course, the need for you know maybe a veteran-type free agent or what's still out there. So at wide receiver, I have former Kansas City Chief Byron Pringle. Cowboys lost Noah Brown this offseason, I think. You know, we don't have to jump up and say, oh, they need a direct Noah Brown replacement, but he did have a role here. Certainly there's existing players on the roster that feel like they can just go take advantage of the fact that Brown isn't here and tell the Cowboys, oh, no, you don't need to go shopping elsewhere. You know, we're here. Simi Fajoko can take advantage of it. Maybe Jalen Tolbert in kind of a different light as well. But Byron Pringle does remind me of Noah Brown just a little bit. And he started 12 games over four years for Kansas City since 2019. 67% of his career catches have went for first downs. You know, think of uh, Luke Schumacher's best trait being just a chain-moving type of tight end. Byron Pringle is that same type of guy, no matter where you put him, at receiver, inside or out. Had a career-high 42 catches for five touchdowns in 2021. Caught three touchdowns in, two, in the playoffs that year, two against uh, Pittsburgh, I believe, and one against Buffalo before they went on to lose to Joe Burrow and the Bengals in the AFC Championship game. So, Byron Pringle to give you some needed insurance and depth at wide receiver at offensive tackle because we keep hearing that you know pretty much every offensive line prospect they have, they're going to start at guard right now and try to just sort out what their tackle depth is. You need a true tackle, but yet here's another player with position flex, veteran Mike Remmers. His first season as a starter was 2015 with the Panthers. They went to the Super Bowl against the Denver Broncos and DeMarcus Ware, of course. And then from there, started 11 games at the Vikings at right tackle, 2017, 16 games at right guard the next year, 14 games at tackle for the Giants, 2019, 17 games at different positions over two seasons with the Chiefs in 2020, 2021, and then only started one game last year with the Jets, which kind of explains why he's still on the market, but certainly a veteran with a lot of experience, Mike Remmers. And the last three, Zach Cunningham, a linebacker out of Vanderbilt, second-round pick, to the Texans in 2017, and then started six games in that division as well for the Titans in 2022. You know, to me, any linebacker that Mike Vrabel is interested in, I think, has a role on a lot of different teams. You know, Mike Vrabel knows his defensive-minded players. You think Tennessee Titans linebacker, you, it, there's a certain physicality right now that, that comes with that tag and something the Cowboys could still use more of. We know that they're trying to get the type of player like a Demarion Overson or Donovan Wilson, Jaron Coast. Those are kind of the type of hybrid safety slash linebackers that Dan Quinn prefers. But you still had Anthony Boyle last year. You still have Leighton Van Der Esch where you need more of a traditional linebacker type player. And I think Cunningham could be your answer to replacing Barr, giving you that insurance plan for Van Der Esch misses time. And the fact that he's still on the market, certainly a favorable, favorable deal might be in place to get him. Um, as a prospect from, like I said, the 2017 class out of Vanderbilt. So receiver, tackle, linebacker, position groups we've talked a lot about where they can still use help. And I addressed them with Byron Pringle, Mike Remmers, and Zach Cunningham. Yeah, and what I like about the guys that you listed, Sands Cunningham, is 
I think they've got really good special teams utility as well. And they really fit what the Cowboys would be looking for if they added anybody, which is the versatility and kind of a break glass in case of emergency. Because really, if they're having to use those guys, it would be in that type of situation. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think they have the depth at, at these positions where you either have your starters pretty worked out and then you have your young guys behind it that you want to see get more reps. But I don't think any of these are progress stoppers for young guys to get reps. And, if, you know, a young guy beats them out entirely, you could just move on. But, yeah, you want that insurance plan. You want, you know, to have the depth, especially, you know, receiver and tackle being my first two that I named. Tackle depth is still of concern, considering we don't really even know how they plan on putting the best five out there and what the offensive line is going to look like. We still have to wait until probably, you know, training camp to get any kind of idea on that. And then wide receiver is still positioned where, you know, we're all pretty hyped about the defense, but let's not forget the taste in our mouth of the last time we actually saw this team in a competitive game. We got bounced by the 49ers again, and we've all harped on the fact, I know I have at least, they only scored 12 points in that game. You know, it's still like, how much, how much more do you want to build up the defense when your season ending loss to put you in this situation was a 19 to 12 playoff loss. So receiver, we all still wish that there was more out there to work with and this offense could be more explosive and the pressure of putting on players that haven't really shown a whole lot to be more explosive right now means that there is room for a guy with, you know, playoff experience and all that playing with Pat Mahomes is an added benefit when it comes to bringing in a guy like Byron Pringle. And when you put it that way with Pringle um, and training camp and all that, maybe the Cowboys just wait until training camp and then evaluate where they're going to need to allocate the resources depending upon the attrition. And let's say receiver's one of them. Why don't you just go back to T.Y. Hilton? And then I'm going to say the same thing with Jason Peters, too. I mean, now that he's the oldest active NFL player. <laughs> yeah, I, I did think about putting uh, both of those players on here, actually. You know, it's, as far as a reunion tour for Hilton or, or Peters. So, you know, Peters, the age thing, though, I think is a factor in terms of you wanted him in here to potentially make a playoff run, and he was open to having whatever type of role he needed as far as if it was on the field or more just a coach in the room and advisory and he ended up kind of having both, but I think you move on at this point. And then with Hilton, I, it's interesting to see that a market hasn't developed for him. You know, I'd certainly be interested in bringing him back. He takes the top off the defense a little bit better than Pringle can at this point. I think Pringle was more that underneath run after the Cats ability, which is still going to be highly covered in, in Mike McCarvey's offense, I think. But, yeah, you want to be able to take shots down the field to receivers outside of CDLM. And I think Hilton is still that guy that can do that when he – converted that third and what was it third and 20 third and 30 against the Eagles so if those types of plays could still win you big divisional games and I would be interested in bringing T.Y. Houghton back but like you said at this point so it sort of does feel like it's going to take an injury or something unfortunate to happen if the depth chart at receiver to consider bringing Hilton back to this team specifically it's just kind of the attrition of training camp right now they're just going to see who can get it and among the veterans, um, you know, that are kind of at the last chance saloon with the Cowboys, they're just trying to see who still has anything at all and if they can even get the system and if they're going to be some kind of progress stopper. So, I mean, you know, these guys that uh, 
that are available, and I think it's true for all 32 teams, um, they're just kind of waiting for an emergency situation to happen on someone's roster. Yeah, it's only the case for Zeke Elliott, who, you know, we're trying to see if his role will still be in Dallas going forward. Emmett Smith continues to pound the table for that to happen, but it sure doesn't seem like the Cowboys are in any hurry to shake up the running back depth chart any more than they already have. They're excited about six-round pick Deuce Vaughn and everything in front of him with Tony Pollard being ready to be the lead guy, and then Malik Davis and Rico Dowdle showing what they could do behind him. So, you know, we'll see if uh, if and when Ezekiel Elliott smoke and the rumors and all that go away. But for now, still in the distance for a move the Cowboys plan to actually make, but still a free agent to be had out there nonetheless when it comes to still wanting more on offense. I brought up, you know, two offensive players you added to it with Hilton, and yet Ezekiel Elliott goes unmentioned and unsigned at the moment. You know, we'll just let Emmett Smith continue pounding away for Ezekiel Elliott in that regard. Now, like I said, the NFL schedule comes out on Thursday, and Dallas, I'm sure, is going to get their allotment of five primetime games. Um, what what games do you think the NFL will put in primetime featuring the Cowboys? So I'm going to put a quick asterisk on this and say that, you know, there's already enough smoke that the Thanksgiving game will be against Aaron Rodgers and the Jets, and I don't know if that counts as technically primetime or not. So I did include that one. So my five other ones that would be in your standard Sunday night football, Monday night football, or Thursday night football, that's not Thanksgiving, slots would be versus the Eagles. You know, that's just too easy. The Eagles game on the road was primetime last year. Let's flip it and make the game at at t Stadium this year, primetime. Eagles coming off a Super Bowl run. Cowboys trying to uh, supplant them as division champs. The NFC East hasn't had a repeat winner, you know, I feel like since I was born at this point. So that storyline writes itself, and Cowboys-Eagles will be in high demand to be one of the primetime games, so take your pick on if it wants to be the one in Philadelphia, which again would be for the second year in a row, or we'll change it up and make it the one in Dallas. I have it as the one in Dallas. Then I have versus the Rams as another one. You know, I think this is kind of that toss-up game where it's either the Rams play themselves into being contenders again, and they're good, and people can still remember their recent Super Bowl, and it has that attractiveness as a matchup, or the Rams are struggling, but you still want to kind of hype them up. There's nothing the media likes more than, you know, putting the Cowboys a potential pitfall type games and building up their and having the option to build up their narrative either way. Either you put them in a big primetime game, they win, and then you can push them as Super Bowl contenders again, and Jerry's happy and he's going on every radio show imaginable. Or you put them against a team that, you know, they should beat, but they don't, and then you get to kind of bag on them for a week, and that draws the headlines as well. So the Rams game could go either way, depending on where in the schedule, of course, it falls to determine what we know about the Rams at that point in the year how Sean McVay's team is looking. So I think you make Cowboys versus Rams at 18th Stadium prime time as well. At the 49ers, feels like another easy choice. They've bounced the Cowboys in the playoffs two years in a row. It's a classic matchup. The playoff rivalry is, is alive and well. So at the 49ers, feels like just a great Sunday night football, Monday night football type of game. Of course, we want to see that one kept away from Thursday. So let's not make that a short week type of game. But Sunday night football, Monday night football, I'm here for it when it comes to Cowboys at 49ers. This one might come as a surprise to our listeners and you, Mark. I have at the Carolina Panthers as a primetime game. Why not? You know, first round, uh, first overall pick, Bryce Young, will mark the second year in the road that the Cowboys play against a team that had the first overall pick. Last year, you know, it wasn't as sexy as playing against the number one overall quarterback. It was 
uh, Trayvon Walker with the Jaguars, but the Jaguars won that game in overtime. So maybe the schedule makers make note of that, try to get you know an up-and-coming team like the Panthers or whoever's picking first to beat the Cowboys on primetime TV and get them in the eyes of the public more than they would be as a team that usually takes its growing pain. So we'll see what Bryce Young has in store, but him playing the Cowboys at home uh, in a primetime game would be intriguing. And then versus the fighting Dan Campbells at home, another home primetime game. Give me Cowboys versus Lions as a primetime game. The Lions are everybody's darling pick to um, win that, win the North, win that division, go to the playoffs that they had a chance to do last year. And I f- think plenty of Cowboys fans still remember the playoff game against against them from years back, 2014. Tony Romo against the Lions and the Anthony Hitchens penalty and all of that. So we can bring back those good slash bad memories when it comes to Cowboys versus Lions in a big spot and the Lions are certainly ready for more big time games as a favorite to win that division. So I have home games against the Eagles, Rams, and Lions and road games against the 49ers and Panthers as potential primetime games for Dallas this year. You know how much coulda, woulda, shoulda and I told you and all that's going to happen if Dan Campbell and the Lions ever beat the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> well, it would, I mean, it would be great to see that, you know, that game for them, like really cement their status as contenders, right? Like if everybody would be like, oh, I was first to be on the Lions, why well, don't just say now that they're good because they beat the Cowboys and then they go and stumble the next week. Yeah, and that's usually how it goes too. Um, but here's what I had. And a lot of what you did was what I th- was thinking particularly with Carolina and Dallas, because I thought that the schedule makers would definitely do that. But here's how I had it. Um, And I went by the weeks on the schedule. So week one, I've got Dallas at San Francisco Sunday night. I think that that's how they'd want to kick off the season uh, is with that particular matchup that would be so fun and then in week three uh the giants at dallas on monday night football at AT at&t stadium week seven philadelphia at dallas sunday night football which would mark the 20th consecutive season that eagles and cowboys has been in prime time which no one talks about by the way, which is just yeah, so I, I would have never guessed it goes quite that far back. That's crazy. Yeah, so I think what I'll have to do is, as that is approaching, if it happens, maybe put on a flannel shirt and grow a beard, and then you know maybe people listen to that stat. But you know otherwise, it just always gets ignored every year. <laughs> um, like you said, I think Jets. At Dallas on Thanksgiving is very realistic, and because that'll be a CBS game as well. I think week 13, Thursday night football on Amazon with the Carolina Panthers, and then week 16, Seattle at Dallas, because that gives the league a chance to back out of it in case Seattle and Dallas stink. If either one of them stinks, there'll still be a large enough fan base to tune in and watch. And if they're both great 
on Christmas Eve, Sunday night football. Oh man, that'll be that'll set the ratings. I'm proud of us for not uh, both of us for not putting Buffalo uh, the Buffalo game on here. You know that one felt like all hanging fruit in terms of two contenders in both conferences and a former Super Bowl matchup and all that hyping it up. But it it's also a concept that I think we both understand. You know, should hit hit on as to why we didn't put it there and. It's that no matter what time the Cowboys are playing, it gets primetime ratings. So you put, you know, one o'clock still feels sketchy sometimes. I know Sundays feel weird, feel weird when the Cowboys play at one. None of us are particularly a fan of that. It could be nice every now and then to, you know, if you don't, if you have something to do later in the day and you don't particularly care for any of the four o'clock games, it's like, oh, at least the game's out of the way. But yeah, one o'clock Cowboys games still feel weird. We're so into the four o'clock slot. And that's because they make the four o'clock slot feel like primetime, you know? There's always the better games of the day at 4 o'clock anyway, and the Cowboys deserve to be in that better time slot. So if you make Cowboys-Bills a 4 o'clock game, it's already going to have the feel and the viewership and the appeal of a primetime type game. So I think that that one, you ticket for 4 o'clock as opposed to having to make it a night game just for the ratings. Yeah, and that's what I took into consideration was, you know, the networks aren't going to want to give up. You think CBS, let's see, who has it this year? CBS, you think CBS wants to give up? Dallas Patriots, you think they want to give that up even though the Patriots aren't exactly who they've been? No, they don't want to give it up. And so that's the thing. There's some of these games that CBS and Fox are going to frankly protect. Yeah, that one felt like, I mean, it felt like a potential pick to put in primetime Cowboys-Patriots, and then it's like, what? it's also a game like you could do anything with. Like, that one almost feels like a 1 o'clock game that would make sense, you know? That, that's like an early day type of game where I don't think anybody gets too hyped to watch Mac Jones these days, and you know, Patriots fans included. So, you know, that one feels like an early game that still has a little, a little bit of appeal and a good, you know, appetite first course for then whatever's happening at 4 o'clock that day, and you could have, you know, I know Chiefs-Bengals is a regular season game again this year. You could have Patriots-Cowboys at 1, Chiefs-Bengals at, at 4. That would be a good day, to say the least. So, yeah, that one feels like a where-do-you-put-it type of game. But, yeah, I stayed away from Cowboys-Patriots being a primetime pick for that reason as well. Yeah, so, but uh, it'll all be released uh, May 11th, Thursday night, about 7 o'clock usually Central Time, and then away we'll go. And then your whole life is planned for the rest of the year. I like it. I like hey, it. Hey, maybe we can go, we, you know, depending on when Cowboys Giants falls on the schedule, we can meet up there. You know, we're in season two of this podcast. We've never met in person and we can go get you that uh, pork or egg and cheese sandwich at Cowboys Giants, not at the stadium because I've never found one at MetLife Stadium. And I wouldn't trust it if they, if they do, that giant air contestant of a stadium that even Giants and Jets fans don't really enjoy, but somewhere in the surrounding area to the stadium. I'm sure we can get that done for you. Yeah, we'll definitely have to check that off the list. All right, let's get to the Cowboys' birthdays. Sean, on Thursday, we'll start with Stephen Paia. He played defensive tackle for the Cowboys in 2017. He, he will turn 35 years old, and he's from Auckland, New Zealand. But why I picked him was he's a perfect example of how Dallas used to be with the defensive line with just, oh, I can coach up anybody. Now they seem to be a little more deliberate with their selections and acquisitions. (laughs) Yeah, you know, the days of the Pio signings still feel so recent to the point where you can't imagine this team just this year using a first-round pick on, you know, kind of a similar type position. Mozzie Smith gives you much more as a pass rusher. They're hoping to really tap into that by changing his stances and things like that that we've heard Pio 
we would have two one tech that didn't push the pocket as much. But yeah, when those days still feel like they were, you know, yesterday, and then we just realized that the Cowboys just last month though drafted, you know, a first round pick at this position, it's still kind of hard to believe. But yeah, the days of the Rob Marinelli coach up anybody on this defensive line certainly numbered and all but over when it comes to Dan Quinn really just stockpiling talent here and now having Parsons as the full-time defensive end. So not saying Pia wasn't a potentially, you know, decent signing here and played in some good games, but yeah, Mozzie Smith sends a different type of signal when it comes to being a first-round pick at that type of position. And then on Sunday, Kelvin Martin, he played receiver from 87 to 92 and came back in 96. He will turn 57 years old. And the thing with Kelvin Martin was Jerry Jones compared T.Y. Hilton to Kelvin Martin in terms of a veteran receiver who who uh, really mentors and helps uh, the younger receivers adjust to the game. He felt like T.Y. Hilton was that for Dallas last season, playing that kind of Kelvin Martin role. Well, that's a great find. I mean, I don't remember Jerry saying that, but it just paints the point of, you know, for two reasons, both that might be incentive to look at bringing T.Y. Hilton back if the price tag, you know, continues to fall by way of other teams that have more of a need at receiver, not bringing the veteran in. And then also, you know, like you said, you look at those years that Martin has with the team. He was a part of some championship teams being here through 87, 92, and 96. So, you know, to have that endorsement of as far as how important a player that can be a coach in your wide receiver room type of guy is, and to know that it also worked out in a way of him being a Super Bowl champion, yeah, it shows that, you know, they need to continue to address wide receiver. And yet again, it feels like a type of position where it could be a downfall type of thing for them. So whether it is just T.Y. Hilton and you feel fine about it or Byron Pringle or one of these rookies emerging, you know, it's a position that I don't think they're done at, to say the least. Yeah, Jerry said it on uh, January the 3rd of the of 2023 on 105.3 The Fan. Um, so, let's see, that was a Tuesday? So, yeah, that that's basically when he said it, and he just compared T.Y. Hilton with Kelvin Martin. And, and then, also on Sunday, Jeff Heath turns 31 years old. He is a safety for Dallas from 2013 to 2019. And he was just really a fan favorite, doesn't even do justice to <laughs> how how beloved he was by America's team. I mean, fans of America's team. And those are your Cowboys' birthdays for this week. Yeah, Jeff Heath, like I said off the open, can he come back and be the kicker or just a fan favorite safety? It would be interesting to see him in a Dan Quinn defense. You know, I don't want to, like, overhype what he did here, but – you know, Dan Quinn has gotten the most out of these athletic safeties with range. It could be good to see Jeff Heath in a Dan Quinn defense, but I think the player I'll always remember the most from him is uh, against the Raiders, of course, Derek Carr going for the pile on, diving, and Jeff Heath, um, you know, bringing up the probably the worst rule in football, but it helped the Cowboys that day, knocking the ball out of bounds, and if it goes out in front of the pile on, the Raiders get another play, right, and a chance to win that game, but instead it goes to the end zone. Cowboys ball, he saved the game and he won the game for him at the goal line against the Raiders, probably the most memorable Jeff Heath play. Yeah, I think they should bring him back as a kicker. Um, I think that, you know, he would fit in well with, with uh, John Fossil's schemes. Well, that too, <laughs> yeah. I mean, picture this. You could have 
Jeff Heath, you know, running down on punt coverage, kicking field goals, playing a role in Dan Quinn's defense. I mean, that's that's more than like we expect, you know, six to seven round picks to contribute at any given point. So clearly there's a role for Jeff Heath to come back. Yeah, there there's a role. And uh, Dallas just has to find a way to make it happen. By the way, really, before we get out of here, Sean, did you know now you like the Dayton Triangles? Because they played in Triangle Park, right? <laughs> oh, of course. And I need to get us those triangles, so I'll do that. Okay. Well, did you know that at Triangle Park in Dayton that they have the Triangle Park Pavilion? And you can rent it for special events. You can book it for special events. What type of events do they do, they do there? Do we know about to look this up? But. I think we got to go do a live podcast from Triangle Park someday. Yeah, we should. Man, just the appeal of the Dayton Triangles grows by the day on this show because it's awesome. And, you know, we'll, like I said, we'll throw on some Triangles jerseys and uh, go do a live podcast there. Let's pick when it's not cold. But Oh, da- yeah, we're not doing it when it's cold. So it'll just have to be, I guess, in the one, in the two weeks of August – when it's fine in Ohio. Now, summertime in Ohio is real good, actually. All right. Well, you've been listening to the Hidden Yardage podcast. Find Sean Martin at Sean Martin NFL, myself at The Real Mark Lane on Twitter, and subscribe to the Hidden Yardage podcast on Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and Stitcher. It's been great. We'll see you next week, folks. So there it is.